Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Judges 6, verses 1 through 26. God does a great work in the lives of the Israelites. He uses a gapper to do it. Will you be a gapper? If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Hope you've had a, a blessed week. We are still in Judges chapter 6 as we continue this series entitled God and Gideon. We're approaching the end. We're getting close to the end of the series as we've looked at Gideon, but not just Gideon. We've also un- uncovered a lot of truths about God and some characteristics about God and the relationship and the connection between God and Gideon. And we're just walking through the story, uncovering a variety of truths. And so far, we've uncovered seven truths in the story. The first truth is that God is a God of grace and salvation. Anytime you approach God with a sincere heart, he always responds to you in grace. Two is that God God encounters are essential, and those God encounters lead to worship and peace and obedience and courage. Truth three is that God understands our humanity, so he works with us and in us and for us and through us, even in the midst of our pain and doubt and fear and struggles. Truth number four is that God sees us differently than we see ourselves, and the key is to see ourselves through God's lens. And as we see ourselves the way God sees us, then we're able to actually to become who God has called us to become. Truth number five is God is a majority. So the odds are never against us because he is a majority. Truth number six, God is way ahead of us. He is preparing the way for us. Even right now, he's already preparing the future. He's never uh, reacting to us. He's preparing the way for us. And then the seventh truth we've looked at is One mistake does not negate. One misstep, one mistake does not discount and negate a a life of obedience. Uh, As followers of Christ, our mistake does not define us. God's grace defines us. So that brings us now to truth number eight. So for this truth, let's go back to chapter six, verse one, and let's revisit the beginning of the story. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys." They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Here's truth number eight. God hears you even in your sin. God hears you even in your sin. What's interesting here is we don't know how long the Israelites had been doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. We don't know how long. They could have had a real season of sin where they were enjoying their sin. No complaints, no crying out because they were in that season of sin where they're having a really good time so there's no issue. We don't know how long that developed, but at some point, at some point, 
things quit going as well as they were at the beginning. And this really is the nature of sin, even for us today. Sin is fun for a season. We talked about this before. If your sin's not fun, you're doing the wrong sins because sin is fun. That's part of the deal. That's the appeal. That's the draw of sin, that it's pleasurable, but it's only pleasurable for a season. And sometimes when you try to talk to somebody about living in sin, they don't understand, they don't believe you because they're still in the season of fun and, and appealing. And that's what was taking place probably with the Israelites. But at some point, everything turned. And so for the Israelites, all of a sudden, the season of pleasurable sin had turned. And so now for seven years, they've been experiencing the ramifications of their sin. So once they began to experience the consequence of their sin, verse 6 tells us they cry out to the Lord. Now, at this point, they've not yet atoned for their sin. They've not confessed their sin. We don't know if they even fully understand that they are in sin. We don't even know if they understand that the oppression that they're facing is a result of their sin. We have no clear word if they really even know what's going on. In fact, Gideon later says, why is all this happening? Gideon even indicates that they don't really understand that they're really in sin. We don't see any level of repentance yet. All we see from the Israelites is that they are sick and tired of the oppression and the bondage and the impoverishment as a result of sin. So they cry out to God. And the principle is here, God hears them, responds to them, and begins to work on their behalf. And here's the truth that I want to make this morning. God hears you even in your sin. You may not fully understand the concept of sin. You may not fully understand that you are in sin. Or you may be fully aware that you're walking in sin and living in sin. But either way, it doesn't matter. When we get to the point where we're tired, when we get out of that sin season that's fun and we begin to realize the consequences of sin, once we come to that place and we cry out to God, he promises that he'll hear us and he'll respond and he'll activate his work on our behalf. When I talk about sin this morning, there are two word pictures uh, that I want to give you. And in both these word pictures, let's say far right, you have God. Far left, you have anti-God, sin. Okay? So in the, in the first illustration, you know God is this direction. You know God's plan. Maybe not fully, but you have an awareness of God's existence, God's plan, God's rule, God's law, God's desire uh, and, and purpose for you. But in that knowledge, whatever level of knowledge that is, you make a conscious, deliberate decision to turn your back on God and pursue sin. You make a conscious choice to deliberately live in sin and turn your back against God's purpose and plan and will for your life. It's very deliberate. Now we see this type of of examples in scripture. We see it with the prodigal. Remember him, he wants to leave the authority of his father. So he takes his inheritance and he lives and pursues a lifestyle of sin. We see this with Jonah. God had a very specific call on Jonah's life. Jonah understood fully what God wanted him to do. And so he makes a deliberate choice to turn his back on God and go a complete different direction. We see this in the story of Gideon as well. Not with Gideon, but with the people of, of, of Israel, the men in the city, remember when he wants to destroy the Baal altars and the Asherah poles, 
and then he builds the altar of the Lord. When the people find out, they want to they want to kill Gideon. So what we see in that picture is that the people of Israel had made a conscious decision, a conscious choice to reject the worship of God and to participate in the worship of idols. So this is one picture when we deliberately, out of rebellion, choose to pursue sin and reject God. But there's a second aspect of sin here. And the second is, I am pursuing God. I love Christ. I am following Christ. I'm seeking to, to live my life according to his word and pursue Christ. And I'm wholeheartedly in love with Christ and I'm following after God, but I trip on something along the way. I stumble along the way. In other words, in my pursuit to follow Christ, I let my guard down for a, for a moment in that temptation and the tempter is able to come in and trip me up on something. We see that in scripture as well. Peter did that. He's following after Jesus before the trials, but he ends up denying him three times. He didn't set out to deny Christ. He's, he's wanting to follow Christ, but he lets that guard down and he denies Christ. We see that with David, a man after God's own heart, who's pursuing God, but he lets his guard down, and then he commits that sin with Bathsheba. We see this with Gideon who loves God and had just had this great battle in following God, but then he makes the ephod. Gideon didn't plan to sin or to create idolatry. He let his guard down and he stumbled. So in one example, my heart is set against God. and the other example, my heart is set toward God. In one example, my sin is very deliberate. And in the other example, my sin's not deliberate. I stumbled as I let my guard down. But the truth is, in either case, in either type of sin, in either heart mentality, God still hears you when you cry out in the midst of your sin. We see that with the prodigal. When finally he comes to his senses, he's in the pig pen. He cries out to God, and he gets res restoration with his father. Jonah, when he cries out from the fish's belly, God hears him and restores him. When the people of Israel cry out finally, God restores them and brings them back into fellowship. Even with, with Peter who denies Jesus, when he weeps, Jesus restores him later. When David realizes what he's done, he weeps, he confesses his sin, God restores in every case, whether my sin is, is intentional and deliberate or if it's, quote, accidental and sudden, a momentary lapse. Either way, when we cry out to God with our sin, he hears us and he responds. Why does God hear us in our sin? It's because he loves us in our sin. See, God doesn't stop loving us just because we sin and because we make a mistake. Now, rest assured that our sin hurts the heart of God. It saddens the heart of God. In fact, our sin hurts God's heart more than it hurts our own heart. But he doesn't hate us in our sin. He doesn't condemn us in our sin. Some people have the picture of God that in the midst of our sin, God's just this big judge in this big robe with this big gavel. He's just waiting to, to, to lay down the law. So when we sin, he just wants to throw the hammer down and convict us of some death sentence. Or maybe the, it's the picture of God's angry. And so he's really waiting for us to sin so that when we make this mistake and we sin, he is so angry with us that he's just going to condemn us and he's going to do bad stuff to us. When we think that way, what's our natural reaction? 
Well, I'm not going to cry out to God in the midst of my sin because I don't want to be judged and condemned and ridiculed. So we run from God. So what we have to understand is even in the midst of our sin, even if it's rebellious sin, God still loves us and his heart is never to condemn us or to judge us. His heart, truth number one, he always responds to us with grace. So even in the midst of our sin, when we come to the place where we realize I no longer want to live like this and suffer the oppression and the bondage of this, I'm going to cry out to God every time we do that. He never judges us. He never condemns us. It's always with grace and forgiveness. So whether you find yourself this morning caught in sin out of just out and out rebellion, or you've just had a misstep, don't run from God in the midst of your sin. Run to him and allow him to do a work in the midst of it. What's interesting with the story is we see the Israelites suffering for seven years. Seven years is a long time to suffer the consequences of your sin. Now, we don't know the story real well. Why did it take seven years? Was, was, was there a, 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 a perfection, a completeness that God was trying to develop? We don't know. Were they enjoying sin for a long time and, and didn't feel the ramifications? I don't know. Did they never make the connection that their oppression was connected with their sin? I don't know. I don't know why it took seven years, but for some reason, they suffered with, under their oppression for seven years. Here's my advice for you this morning. If you find yourself caught in sin, do not wait seven years to cry out to the Lord. Cry out right now. If God's Spirit is, is convicting you right now that, that there's some sin gripping you, whether it's rebellion or whether it's something you slipped up, don't let it linger. Cry out to the Lord now and say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Would you redeem me and would you restore me? You don't have to suffer for seven years. Just confess it before the Lord. So here's truth number eight. God hears you even in your sin. So cry out to him. Truth number nine. Let's look in chapter six, verse 11. Revisit this portion of the story. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Here's truth number nine. God is looking for gappers. God is looking for gappers. You know what a gapper is? Well, there's a British definition to gapper, so if you know that definition, disregard it. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm referring to one that may be a definition in baseball. Those of you that know baseball, you know the space between the outfielders is called the gap. It can be called the alley, but 
Many people call it the gap. So a ball that's hit in that space between the outfielders is a gapper. It's been hitting the gap, so it's a gapper. So by inference, you can call the person who hit the ball in that space a gapper. But couldn't you also call the person standing in that space between the outfielders a gapper? In baseball, you have nine fielders. You have three outfielders. But in slow-pitch softball, you have 10 players, and you have a fourth outfielder. And typically, that fourth outfielder is standing somewhere in the space between the other outfielders. And his job, really, is to stand in the gap. So if a ball's hit in the gap, you've got this outfielder in the gap. So really, a gapper is simply someone who stands in the gap. Now, Gideon, we see, was a gapper. Now, he was a reluctant gapper at the beginning. But he becomes a gapper because he's willing to stand in the gap between God and Israel. If you go through Scripture, we see some very significant gappers through Scripture. You've probably never thought of them this way. You've probably never called them this. But in essence, they're gappers standing in the gap. We see this with Abraham. Remember, he prays for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, praying that God would spare them God's judgment. We see this with Moses, who prays for the children of Israel when they're in the wilderness and they've committed idolatry and God's so angry, he's just gonna wipe them out and start all over. And Moses pleads on their behalf, oh God, don't do that. He's a gapper. Paul does this with the people that he's praying for. He says, I'll become all things to all men so that I could win a few. His heart was such that he said, I would, I'd be willing to separate myself from God for eternity if that means that people would come to Christ and my brothers would come and know Christ. That's a gapper. The ultimate gapper, obviously, is Jesus Christ. You've probably never thought of him as a gapper. But he's the ultimate gapper who bridged the gap between mankind and God. And here's the word picture. Again, you've got God over here, you've got mankind over here, and in between you have this huge gap, this chasm that was created by sin, original sin with Adam and Eve that was transferred into us so that every one of us now are, are sin and we're born in sin. So now, because of sin, you have mankind and God with a huge gap in between. And over the centuries, people have tried to bridge that gap on their own. They try to bridge the gap by righteous living and by good acts. They bridge the gap by trying to be moral. They bridge the gap by some legalistic type of uh, adherence to the law. They try to bridge the gap by doing some really good works. They try to bridge the gap by coming to church and being part of a church. But all of those things fall short. God had a plan. He said, I'm the only one that can bridge the gap, and he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, the cross becomes the bridge for the gap. And so now you have the bridge of Christ, the bridge of the cross that serves as the gap for, for mankind and God. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, watching two of our grandsons, and Liam, the middle one, uh, they've got a little... A uh, wooden train track that you can build all the little train pieces. So Liam likes to play on this train set. And he's got a little kind of magnetic train that he can hook three or four of these together. So I said, hey, Liam, you want me to build your train set? He said, yeah, yeah. So uh, I start to build this train set. And just to be honest, it was a pretty good job, 
pretty elaborate train set. I was pretty impressed with myself once I got it down. It had all these cool little bridges and kind of this double deal and looked really cool. I ought to go into engineering maybe. I don't know, but it looked really good. And so Liam was, man, he was in hog heaven. And he kind of sits in the middle of this deal and he gets his train and he just kind of, you know, pushes his train around. So he started playing with that. So I went over to Lachlan and I was just kind of playing with him and doing stuff with Lachlan. Well, after a few minutes, I start kind of hearing this kind of whining and eh, it was Liam. So I, I turned around to see what was going on and what had happened because he was sitting in the middle of the deal. Somehow he had knocked this piece of the track off. And so there was this big gap. It was coming up like this, but there was this big gap. And so he couldn't get his train across the track. And so he's starting to get frustrated. Well, pretty soon he decided he's going to try to fix it himself. So he starts to grab all these pieces and he tries to put the track together. Well, he can't put it together because it's, you know, it's all elaborate. He keeps knocking up. So now he starts to kind of whine and get fussy and start to cry and get really frustrated. So I walk over there and say, hey, Liam, you want me to put it together for you? So I, I put the train track back and bridge that gap. And now he's all fired up because he can drive the train again. It's a picture of what Christ did for us. Because of sin, this train was broken. And now there's this chasm between us and God. And many people are trying to fix that themselves. And they can't. And they get frustrated. They get angry. They get... But God has said, you can't fix it yourself, but I'll fix it for you. And that's what the story of Christ is all about. Maybe you're here this morning. I don't know your situation with Christ. But let me just share that the only bridge between your lostness and a relationship with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, I pray before you leave this morning that you'll let Jesus Christ stand in the gap for you and be that gapper. Back in the story, we see that's really what Gideon did. He stood in the gap for the children of Israel. And here's the obvious question that I'm coming to for you this morning for you to consider. Will you be a gapper? Will you be a gapper for those without Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.18 calls it the ministry of reconciliation, that God has called us to go out and reconcile those without Christ. Verse 20 goes on and calls us ambassadors of Christ, where God is actually pleading through us, would you be willing to be a gapper that will stand in the gap for those that are without Christ? Will you stand in the gap for those that are caught in sin? Galatians 6.1 says, if someone is caught in sin, those of you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Those of you who are spiritual, you should serve as gappers and help restore. This verse is really interesting to me as we see people caught in sin because it gives some... Uh, the heart and the perspective of those of us that want to help someone caught in sin. It says to restore them gently. To serve as a gapper for those caught in sin, what that means is we never condemn and we never judge. We never condemn someone caught in sin. We never judge somebody that's caught in sin. But we never whitewash the sin. We never downplay the sin. We never excuse the sin either. What we do is we recognize you are caught in sin and because of God's love for you, I want to come alongside of you and walk with you and help give you victory over that sin. That's what a gap we're standing in the gap for those caught in sin is to come alongside and say, let me help you get victory over this. 
where you stand in the gap for those going through very difficult circumstances. Because verse 2 of Galatians 1 continues and says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Or in this way, you serve as a gapper. All of us go through those seasons where life is too hard for our, <laughs> it's just too hard. We're going through difficult situations and we need gappers that will come alongside and will help carry the load for us. Will you be a gapper for our nation, for our city? We see that in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We talk, mentioned Abraham who prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah who tries to stand in the gap we be a gapper for our nation. There's a lot of ways to stand in the gap. There's a lot of ways to be gappers. A great way is to pray, to be a, an intercessor. When you pray for the lost, when you pray for those going through difficult times, when you pray for those caught in sin, that's what you're doing. You're being a gapper. When you share Christ with those without Christ, you're being a, a gapper. When you live your life, when you shine your light and just stand for truth as a follower of Christ out of my sphere of influence, you're being a gapper. That's what we saw in that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is interesting to me. We, I think most of us know the story. Abraham's praying that, hey, if, if, if you can find 50 righteous men, will you not destroy the city? God says, sure. So he, but he keeps dwindling it down, 45, 40. gets all the way to 10. If we can find 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? God says, yes. But they couldn't find 10 righteous people, which tells me, those of us who know Christ, if we'll just go out and be light and live a righteous life, what we're doing is being a gapper. We're keeping God's judgment because we're out there shining the light and living the life. All of those are ways to be gappers, but the number one way to be a gapper is to obey when God calls you. That's what we see in the story of Gideon. When God came to Gideon and said, I'm gonna use you, mighty warrior, to stand in the gap, Gideon said, okay. Took a while, but he finally says, okay. That's how we serve as a gapper. When God calls you, when God's spirit comes to you and says, I need you to stand in the gap for something, for this person, for these group of people, like Gideon, you say, okay. It's a choice. Gideon could have stayed in his wine press, threshing wheat away from the Midianites. And we can stay in our own world and just take care of our own business. Or we can say, when God calls me out to do something to stand in the gap, I'll do it. Are you willing to be a, a gapper? Let me give you one word of caution, something to be aware of, though. Not to beware, but to be aware. There is a cost to being a gapper. There's a price to pay. You need to know that before you say, yes, God, I'll stand in the gap. There's a price to pay. We see that in the story of Gideon. One, Gideon faced the fury of his family and friends. Remember when he throws away the idols and he restores the worship of God, the men of the city want to kill him. So he faces the fury of his family and friends because he's going countercultural with them right at that point. It alters his routine. He created a lot of extra time and energy doing other things. He had to get out of that wine press and do some other things. It exposed him to the enemy. I mean, it basically put a target on his back. He had to fight some battles that he would not have otherwise had to fight. But the story with Gideon, what we see is that his willingness to stand in the gap made all the difference for him and his people. What it did is it moved him and his people from bondage 
into freedom. It moved them from idolatry into worship. It moved them from the fear of the enemy to power over the enemy. It moved them from only hearing about miraculous works of God in the past to experiencing the miraculous works of God in the present. There was a price to pay for getting to be a gapper, but oh, what a difference it made in their life. And the same is true for us this morning. The reward far outweighs the cost. When people will stand up and say, I will stand in the gap for the lost. I will stand in the gap for the hurting. I will stand in the gap for those caught in sin. I will stand in the gap for my nation. God, you can count on me to stand on the gap. It will cost you, but the reward will be so much greater. You'll never under, understand the depth of what God will do in your life and through your life as a result. If God's going to do a work in our nation, there's going to be some gappers stand up. If God's going to use River Fellowship in an exciting, powerful way, there have to be some gappers that stand up and say, I'll stand in the gap. Have you ever heard the term gut check? It's time for a gut check. Here's the official definition. It's an evaluation of a person's resolve or commitment to a course of action. In other words, how badly do I want to accomplish something? What price am I willing to pay to attain X? The gut check time. For example, I want to win that championship. We want to win the championship in sports, okay? How badly do you want to win? What price are you willing to pay to win that championship? I want to run a marathon. Okay, what price do you want to run? What price do you want to pay to run? I don't want to do that, so I'm not paying any price to do that. I want to lose weight. Okay, what price are you willing to pay to lose that weight? I want to get that degree. Okay, what price? It's a gut check time. What are you willing to go through and to endure and to do? Because there are going to be times that are going to test your resolve. A couple of weeks ago, there was a basketball game between Duke and Louisville. Duke was expected to win, but at halftime, Duke was losing significantly. So Coach K gives the team a a gut check speech at halftime. Well, evidently, it didn't work because with about nine minutes left in the game, Duke's behind 23 points now. They're losing 59 to 36, something like that. So in a timeout, Coach Gay gives them another gut check message. And evidently, something clicked with those players at that point because they come in at that point, and the next nine minutes, they bridge the gap, they tie the game in the last minute, 14 seconds left, Some guy makes two free throws and they win the game. They come back. The greatest comeback in Duke history under the Coach K era. Why? They made a decision. Whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. This morning in this message, this truth, this is gut check time. How badly do we want to see God move? How badly do we want to see revival? How badly do we want to see God use river fellowship in exciting, miraculous ways? How badly do we want to see the unengaged become engaged with Christ and his church? How badly do we want to see the disengaged become re-engaged in a relationship with God? 
How badly do we want to see our friends' marriages restored? How badly do we want to see our friends' addictions broken? How badly do we want to see God move in a mighty, powerful way? It's a gut check time because it won't happen without gappers. If Gideon had not stood up and said, okay, I'll stand in the gap, the Israelites would have continued to suffer the ramifications of sin. But because he stood up and said, I'll stand in the gap, that nation was turned. So the question this morning, will you be a gapper? Would you bow your heads with me? In just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member to participate. If you've given your life to Christ, you can participate. And as the elements are passed, just hang on to them and pass them and we'll, we'll partake together. But after we pray in a moment and you're being served, I want you to meditate and pray through and talk to the Lord about these two things. One, the appreciation of Jesus Christ who stood in the gap for you and the significance of that and what it means. But number two, your resolve to be a gapper. Is God calling you to be a gapper? It may not be for an entire nation. It may be for a particular person that God brings to your mind, a family that God brings to your mind. But to take a moment to consider, Spirit, are you calling me to stand in the gap for someone or for some people? What will your response be? Father, we pray as we continue our worship that your Holy Spirit would have such a freedom. Father, that you would move in us. You would convict us. You would challenge us. You would motivate us. You would encourage us. You would excite us to help us understand what a great plan that you have for us as individuals, for us as a church. That you would bring us to the point to do whatever you're calling us to do. So be with this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.